Amen. You may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. It's, just a, it's a joy to be with you guys this morning on this, this second week of Advent. Last week, um, Curtis did an awesome job just kind of laying out where is our hope uh, in Christ. And, and this series that we're doing, this kind of small series leading up to Christmas in Advent, like that word means arrival. Uh, and so I saw a billboard that was like, Advent means preparing your heart. I'm like, well, you can prepare your heart for Advent, but Advent means uh, arrival, Uh, and we're looking at these good words that point us to a greater God. So we're looking at hope, we're looking at peace, we're looking at love, we're looking at joy. And while each one of these individually um, has uh, some and gives us some understanding of what God accomplished in Jesus' arrival, it really takes kind of all of them for us to get a more comprehensive view of what that looks like. And so today, looking at the word peace, we're, we're going to look at what is peace, what, why don't we have it, how has God promised peace, and then how do we live in response to the peace that comes in Jesus Christ. And so to, to begin, uh, I want us to define peace, that peace is a, there, there's a Hebrew word uh, in the Old Testament and a Greek in the New Testament, that, that word is shalom in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's irene. I practice that, so I hope it sounds right, okay? Um, and so we, we think of peace often as an absence of conflict, and it for sure does include that, but peace is so much more than an absence of conflict. It's the presence of fullness. The, the Bible's concept of peace is one of completeness. That, that it's more than, than there being nothing clearly wrong, It's the idea of everything being right. Everything being what we see in the beginning of the Bible, good. That everything is right, that there's no imperfections, but also that everything is perfect. And I think we know the difference a little bit because I think we are a little naive when we think of peace as merely the absence of conflict. For example, right, you know, this year, we, we know that, right, you know, Russia, Ukraine, definitely in conflict, right? Uh, at some point in the next weeks or months or, or however long, uh, you know, a peace will be brokered. But I don't think any of us are going to say, well, yeah, Russia and Ukraine are cool now. Like, they're all getting along. Maybe they'll do, like, you know, joint camping trips or something, right? No. Like, like they, it's not going to be wholeness. Maybe you've been, if you, particularly if you're married, maybe you've been on a road trip with your spouse that was perfectly silent, and you're like, oh, it's so peaceful. No, it's silent because there was conflict, right? Because one of you said something or did something before you got in the car or, uh, you know, as you get going, and then it's silent for miles. Those are not good miles, right? You're there, and you're you're like, I'm with this person. It's quiet. There's no open conflict, but there's not wholeness of relationship. There's not completeness of relationship. It's missing the joyful complexity of what a complete relationship looks like. And so um, there is in our world a presence of conflict. There's a lack of peace. But that's, as we said, not, not exactly how God intended things to be. 
When, when the Bible begins, you know, God creates the heavens and the earth. He, he creates uh, man and woman, and, and he puts them in this peaceful garden where, where humanity has no shame, right? They're naked and unashamed. They, they, they're in perfect relationship with one another. They're in relationship with God. God dwells with them, it says, in the garden. He walks with them. They're provided for. They have everything they could ever need. Like, that's what peace looks like. There's wholeness, and you're thinking, well, well, gosh, that, that, that should just last forever. If you just get the right conditions, then peace will last forever. The, the challenge is, is that there, there is an enemy to peace, that there's an enemy to flourishing. The Bible talks about an enemy coming, a serpent, who's opposed to God, yes, and, but also to our flourishing, to humanity's flourishing. And humanity begins a conflict of independence, aligning themselves with their sense of self as opposed to who they are with God. They align themselves with God's enemy, which is interesting because um, the enemies of God is also an enemy for us. And so they find themselves in this you know, battle, if you will, of, of independence where, where there is um, no peace. It's a war. It rejects God's rule. And the challenge with that is, is that, that we believe that God created, we believe that God created us, and that, that in order for us to experience wholeness, to experience life, it has to include a relationship with the giver of life. And so now that's been divorced. Now the lines of demarcation have been drawn and a conflict begins. And, and that's a word that, that we call sin. Sin helps describe the conflict between humanity and God. That sin separates, creates conflict, right, um, with God. It creates conflict with others. It creates conflict within ourselves. And so that's part of why we don't have this sense of peace that sin, evil, brokenness, division, lack of joy, lack of wholeness all spring from this conflict. And it's sin that robs us of that shalom, of that peace. Maybe you've gone through seasons of your life where you're like, things seem to be going pretty well, but then someone has sinned against you and it unsettles your peace. Or maybe you've been the one that sinned against someone else and now you feel shame and you know you've hurt them and there is a distance, there's a separation that happens. It's no longer peaceful, conflict is there. And yet in the midst of these conflicts, and, and I'll tell you that the Bible I believe is, is a book about a cosmic conflict between God and humanity in which God doesn't say, I'm going to end humanity, but God sees the conflict and he answers it with justice, with mercy, with peace, with grace, with holiness, with truth. And so when the conflict arises right away in Genesis chapter 3, 15, God answers the conflict and he makes a promise of what's gonna happen. And so the sin is entered, there's a conflict that's going on and God says this in verse 315 of Genesis in the beginning and he's talking to the serpent, to the enemy. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And so this this 
conflict starts to get really uh, complex because it's not just us and God, it's, it's us and each other and there's all these layers to it that, that yeah, we did reject God, God's holy, God's perfect, he's good, we're, we're not. And so I just want you to know like, like if you're like, hey, I, I don't know if I like God, I don't wanna be on his team, I just hate to break it to you, the other non-God teams are not good teams. That God is good, God is loving, God is just, God is holy. Like these are all things we say, no, I wanna be aligned on that team. I don't wanna be on the unjust team, on the ungood team, on the, uh, on the merciless team. But that's where we find ourselves. We said as well, there's a spiritual enemy, right? Uh, opposed to God and, and opposed to peace. Jesus says it this way, he says, the enemy comes to devour and destroy. So the spiritual enemy of God is also an enemy to you and to your flourishing, to me, to us, to our flourishing. He does not desire good things for us. And so humanity is no longer in a peaceful relationship with God. We're, we're in conflict with the enemy. We're in conflict with God who seeks our harm. And so maybe, maybe we're thinking, okay, what, what can we do? Maybe humanity, maybe us, if we just build a utopian society, we can combat all the evils and sins of this world. And, and a little later on in the Bible, humanity tries to do that by building what's called the Tower of Babel, this great you know, humanist project of trying to create flourishing and joy and wholeness and life apart from the God who made us. And it fails. And, and every one of these promises that the world gives us, that, that hey, just a little more progress, just a little more technology, there's a little more tolerance, then we're all gonna be better, that we'll all be happy. See, we're part of the source of conflict. So it means we can't be the answer for conflict. And so humanity in the beginning, husband and wife find themselves in conflict with one another. A generation later, brothers murdering brother, and then it breaks out into towns and tribes and cities and nations all in conflict. And until these, these dividing walls, sometimes between genders, right? Sometimes between races, between nationalities, between languages, between, you know, all these different things that divide us. And so people end up not being treated with dignity, but we get denigrated. And so we're like, okay, forget it. You know what? I, I, I don't want to try to do a utopian thing. I'm going to have peace myself. You're going to have some inner peace. You're gonna just kinda not worry about all the things out there. If I just focus on myself, then I'll have peace and wholeness. I'll seek my own well-being. And the challenge with this is, while there's corporate um, consequences for sin, right? War, racism, injustice, you know, those things, right? There's also individual consequences for sin. That we look at ourselves in the mirror and you realize at moments of, of clarity and honesty, I might be my own worst enemy. I might be the one that's actually keeping me from peace. Or if you think that somehow, hey, I'm gonna have peace, but only by myself. Uh, solitary only works for a while. Hey, there's moments, I mean, Jesus took moments where he's like, I need a minute. I just gotta get away from people for a while. But Jesus also came, he arrived to be in relationship with other people. 
Part of why we're not just like watching this online, right, but we're here together is because we recognize we require and need relationships with other people. We're made to be relational beings, and so, so the idea that somehow we're gonna find peace within ourselves just finds itself lacking. These layers of conflict are intense. The depth of brokenness is severe. And so this lack of peace, it means that every part of our relationships and our communities are somehow impacted by this. And you're like, hey, I thought this was Advent. Like we got the Christmas lights up and, and the kids did an awesome job reading the verses and, and all that stuff. Like, hey, I, I just, I want us to know that, that peace is not just some happy, like nice thing that happens, but it's, it's something that God desperately desires for you. That, that we desperately desire, right? Like, we are the most anxious generation, supposedly. I don't really know if they were tracking, like, anxiety in, like, the 1800s. Maybe they were just like, do we have water? You know, maybe that was the thing they were worried about. I don't know. We've got everything now. We're, like, the richest, you know, most technology, most connected. And are any of us, like, the most chill? No, we're so anxious because we don't have that settled sense of wholeness. We're searching for something that's gonna give that to us. And so in the Bible, this, this lack of peace leads to this conflict, as we said. And here in that verse we just read, it says, hey, the serpent is going to strike your heel. He's talking about this savior that's gonna come in, this warrior king that's gonna be the one that finally brings peace. Because I will tell you this, right? When there's, when there's peace treaties brokered, it means somebody won. It means there, there was actual victory. You can't just say, hey, we're gonna be at peace with evil and just appease it. Um, I don't know if you know your history, like the world tried that in like 1938. It didn't work. They're like, let's just let evil be over there. We'll do our thing over here. And it's like, no, no, evil doesn't stay contained. Sin doesn't stay contained. And so in order for there to be peace, to be wholeness, like sin has to be conquered. Evil has to be defeated. And so God, when this conflict begins at the beginning of the Bible, makes a promise. By the way, I want you to know, the conflict is gonna rage for a while. There's gonna be enmity between humanity and the serpent. There, there, there's separation and shame, all of that. But I want you to know, that this savior is coming, that, that, that one born of woman is gonna show up and, and the serpent's gonna strike his heel. What that means is like, it's gonna look like the serpent has mortally wounded the savior. It's gonna look like defeat, but fear not, because actually a better translation of this verse isn't a bruise his head, it's crush his head. That our savior Jesus might be wounded, but he wins. And that gives us hope. Hope that, that there is a victory over Satan, that, that, that enemy, that serpent, you know, however you want to describe it, that's how the Bible talks about it, that like, he, his head's gonna be crushed. His, his reign of being an enemy will be over. The pain that he causes, the pain that humanity causes one another, it will end. That's the promise God gives us in the beginning. And then the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, he's just reiterating that promise over and over. It says right in Genesis, one born of a woman. And we're like, okay, that's, that's basically everybody, right? And he's like, well, and it's also it's gonna be a son. Okay, so that's, that, that cuts it in half, right? Who's it gonna be? And then later he says, he reiterates the promise to a man named Abram. 
Through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And then reiterates it to his son Isaac and Jacob. So now we're into this, what we call the nation of Israel. So now we're like, all right, we know the Savior is coming from, from a tribe, from a nation. Later he says it'll be a son of David. So now we're like, you know, in this royal line where, where we just start to see things get more narrowed down on who this Savior is going to be. Because every generation comes and thinks, this is the one. This is where it's going to get better. And yet we find ourselves in conflict. And so humanity goes on and on for generations and it finds itself in this pretty dark place where like, you know, you know God's people start to be exiled, right? They're, they're just, they're not following and being faithful with God. We've talked about this some in Daniel. Um, and, and, um, but leading up to this, there's this prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament who's talking like 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. And he wants God's people to be reminded that peace is coming. And he says this in Isaiah chapter nine. It's a pretty famous section of scripture that read over uh, Christmas time. Um, but in Isaiah nine, I want to back up just a, a few verses before that. Isaiah nine verses two through five says this. This is God promising peace. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I mean, this, this sounds like a conflict, right? It says, hey, th there's a time of darkness. Like God's people are gonna need some light. That, that they have been oppressed. That they are dealing with pain. That they are in the midst of suffering. That they're carrying a burden. The, the idea of a staff, you, 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 you're, you're carrying a walking stick. It means you're weary, right? It means you're wore out. You're on this journey, and he's like, hey, that rod that, that, that you're, you're walking with, you're not going to need that anymore because all of a sudden your journey's going to get easier. That you're not going to have to worry about oppression because, because that boot of oppression, that rod of oppression, that's going to be broken. And, and I love this because, again, this is God describing victory. Yeah, you're, you're worried about evil. You're worried about injustice. Yes, we should be. Yeah, fight, work, vote, all those things, right? As much as it's up to you, live peaceably with all the Bible says. But know that the true victory is one that God brings over evil. It says to these people in darkness, God's promises seem distant. His, his, the situation seems dire. The darkness seems to be winning. There's evil and ignorance. And we look around our world and we're just like, how much dumber are people gonna get? How much, how much crazier is our society gonna be? How much more clown town are things gonna be? And in that, it's us clamoring for wholeness, clamoring for goodness and justice and righteousness to reign. He's saying in the midst of this darkness, there's gonna be light. It's a light that comes from outside. It's gonna penetrate into the darkness. It's gonna to lead to joy. More people are gonna join the family. More people are gonna be part of this nation of light and they're gonna be known by joy because they have peace. The reason the light brings peace is what it accomplishes. Like we said, the yoke 
broken, the staff broken, the rod that has been oppressing broken. You will not be oppressed anymore. You will not suffer injustice anymore. And then it says the boots of battle, the garments stained in blood. I'm just gonna throw those in the fire. Because what's gonna happen is wartime's gonna be over. So you don't need to walk around in your soldier stuff anymore. You don't have to walk around all armored up wondering when the next hit is gonna come. You, like the garments that were bloodstained because you're in the midst of conflict, those get burned and you're forgotten, they're forgotten about. Because peace is here. The conflict is over. Who does this? How does this happen? That leads us to verses six through nine. Or rather six and seven. Where peace comes is this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, wholeness, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. What's gonna do, do this? What's gonna accomplish it? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God's zeal for our conflict, God's zeal for our lack of peace leads him to say, I'm gonna send a son. And that son is gonna be, yeah, he's gonna be born of a woman. He's gonna be from the line of David, as we said. But Later in, um, uh, 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 later in uh, not Malachi, uh, later it mentions that it's, it's gonna be born of a virgin, right? Like it's this idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he comes in, and he has these names, wonderful counselor. That means he's gonna be one who's ultimately wise, that, that he's gonna be mighty God, that he is eternal, he's powerful, everlasting father. Like, like that means he's gonna be over the family for eternity. He's mighty God, he's powerful, and then he has an official title. His official title is what? Prince of peace, prince of wholeness, prince of victory. And he's gonna be the one who brings shalom, line of David, as we said. And then when it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts, um, I always want to point this out. Like that phrase means God of angel armies. God with an army of angels. He says, I can overwhelm any darkness you think that the world has to offer. That God does bring peace through victory. And this was promise, as we said, 2,700 years ago, and so people waited in darkness, and I mean, this was in advance of God's people being taken to exile, and they go through all of that, and it gets to the book of Malachi, and and, and, and that's like the last uh, 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 Old Testament prophet speaking, saying, saying, don't worry, God's coming, the day of the Lord's coming, and then they deal with silence for 400 years. God doesn't speak, there's no prophetic vision. And, and while that's happening, man, you look at world history and just evil just seems to be winning for centuries. Some of us are struggling to deal with just changes in our society in the last two years or the last couple decades of when we grew up. And like for God's people, they went through generation after generation after generation, not just of darkness winning, but not hearing from God. And as the darkness gets so big, 
light needs to shine even brighter. The, the, the peace that God's promised does arrive in Jesus, and that leads us to Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, says this. This is Luke writing about the account of Jesus' arrival into history. He says this, 10, 14. And the angel said to them, this scene of, of, of this angel army showing up to these shepherds in a dark night. He says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, for all nations, for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, Savior, King of God's people, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. An entire angel army choir shows up in the middle of the night, praising God, saying or singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased, or some manuscripts say, peace and goodwill to, to man, to humanity. This conflict's been looming, hope is fading, darkness is winning, and it's in the midst of that darkness that the angel shows up. He's already told Mary what's gonna happen, right? If you know that story, we might hit this a little bit more on Christmas Eve uh, at our service for that in, in Luke chapter two. But, but just in case people didn't see, hey, it's a man, he's, he's um, uh, uh, born of woman, he's from Israel, uh, he's from the tribe of Judah, he's in the family of David, like, like they narrowed it down. There's also a promise that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, so, so like that's a really small, tiny town. It's like, hey, they, you know, baby Jesus is coming to Granite Falls. Like, you know, I don't even know if you drive out there to go see it, right? Can anything good come from granite? I don't know. It's a small, small town. And in the midst of that, in case the shepherds, for some reason, like weren't Old Testament scholars, probably weren't, they're like, what, what would really like show these guys that what's happening is, is a cosmic shift in how God's going to deal with people? Angel army shows up. The choir sings. Because, like, like, the soldiers, the angel soldiers, they could sing because they're like, eh, we're gonna win. Like, we don't have to really fight. Like, 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 light always overcomes darkness. Like, instinctively, we know this, right? You know, you're in a dark room and you open a door to light. What, what happens to the dark room? Does it get? Does the hallway get dark? No, the room gets light. Light always overcomes darkness. And so here's these guys and they're dealing with this and they're, they're processing all of this. And it's, this is God's way of saying that in his glory, he's bringing peace. He's bringing Irene to the earth and with goodwill towards people. That Jesus is that promised prince of peace, prince of wholeness. And, and, and Jesus reiterates this in, in John 14, 27. Jesus just tells his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives it do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus knows that while there's big conflicts out there, that there's true conflicts that happen right here in our hearts. And Jesus 
wants to be the one to settle your internal conflicts. That he's the one that can bring peace to them. Let not your heart be troubled. He's like, I have peace. Not just that him and God are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trinity, they're all good. They're not fighting. He's like, no, I have wholeness. I have completeness. Let my wholeness, my completeness, my communion with the Father, let that be for you. Let that be for me. Let that be for us. So that we can experience that wholeness. We can feel that wholeness. That he's the one who brings peace. He says, not like the world does. Right? Because the world is like, hey, there's moments where you're chill. There's moments where you're like, oh, all things are good in the world. I, mean, I experienced that this weekend. I mean, I, I, Friday, you know, I, I drove just south of 20th Street and Lake Stevens, and, and I went to the Costco parking lot. And, and Lake Stevens has a Costco now. And so I don't even know if I'll ever go to Smoky Point again in the rest of my life. Because now Lake Stevens has a Costco. And I was like, this is good. This is a great day. And then, and then later, like yesterday, Lake Stevens won the high school football championship. Like for a former band nerd, I was like, rah, rah. Like, like they won. Like those are good moments. Like there's, there's moments where you're like, oh, this is good. Like I hope, I, I do pray, you have moments during this holiday Christmas season where you're with family, where you're with friends, where you're with us as your church, where you're like, this is good, right? It's a good day. Oh, this is fun. Like cookies and good food and good drink, all that stuff. Like, yes, but it doesn't last. I mean, don't think about that as it's happening. Don't, don't be that person at the party like, you guys all having fun? Guess what, tomorrow's gonna suck. Don't do that, you're already gonna ruin it, okay? Just enjoy it. But Jesus is saying, I give you a peace that is eternal, not temporary like the world can. Because I'm the one that's gonna restore that relationship you have with God. See, um, Colossians 1.19 says that, that this, for him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness completeness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. It says this, making peace by the blood of the cross. The part of how God settles that cosmic conflict, is he says, there does have to be a victory over your sin. There does have to be a victory over death. There does have to be a victory over the enemy. And so if you think about peace as just ending the conflict, like, I mean, that's important. You do have to end the conflict. Like, know this, without the peace of Jesus, you don't have peace with God. You're, you're, on, you're on team, no peace. But in Christ, so you identify with Jesus, he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, he's made peace by the blood of the cross that he's, he's taken the defeat that every single one of us, myself included, deserves for our sin. Like, if you're an enemy opposed to God, God could just end it. He wins. But God's so much more merciful, so much more gracious. He's like, that son that's given, yeah, he's gonna lead. The government's gonna be on his shoulders. But when he says given, he also is referring to a sacrifice. That son's gonna suffer the death we all deserve for our sin. That that's what's gonna end the conflict. You're feeling conflicted with God. The end of that conflict is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. Part of what he's saying is, the conflict's over. 
And so when we take communion here in a few minutes, it reminds us that Jesus took our defeat. The conflict with God is over. But if the word peace doesn't just mean end of conflict, but means wholeness, it means through the cross, where Jesus says, I give you my peace. I give you my righteousness. That when you take communion, you're remembering that it's through the cross that wholeness has been restored. Completeness has been restored. Are we perfect yet? No, I just want to be clear on that, but I want to be clear on this. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, your conflict with God is over. It doesn't mean there's not going to be times where you feel conflicted. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be a conflict within you to either follow sin or, or follow Jesus. Those are going to happen. But it means that your eternal conflict with God is over. That you are secure because Christ has secured victory for you. He died, yes, he rose again. Like, like all, our anticipation around Christmas isn't just the arrival of the baby Jesus, but it's looking forward to Good Friday and ultimately to Easter where Jesus is resurrected. And we see, oh, death has been defeated. We don't have to fear that anymore. This is the hope and the peace that we get with Jesus. All right, last verses as we close. How do we live in response to this peace? Ephesians chapter two talks about it. It's a long section of scripture. I'll read it. We'll talk about it briefly and close things out. It says this. Ephesians chapter two, 12 through 22. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is you apart from Jesus. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Okay, you're not part of the family. You're not part of the nation. Having no hope and without God in the world. This is our peaceless state. This is your peaceless state apart from Christ. This is not good news. But good news is coming. 13. But now, in Christ Jesus your identity, your allegiance, where's your hope, where's your faith in? You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking to the cross. For he himself is our peace, who has made for us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two and so making peace wholeness, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. He's actually talking about the church through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he's talking about God's word here. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Okay, there's probably like a whole sermon series in those verses right there. But the points that I want us to know and to recognize 
is that as the result of the peace that we have in Jesus should actually have some practical implications in how we view our relationships with ourselves, others, the church, the world, and with God. And so he talks about this dividing wall of hostility. I want you to ask yourself, what are the dividing walls of hostility within you that you need the Holy Spirit to break down so you can experience wholeness of relationships? Relationship with self, with others, with God, with the church, with a church, with any church, with the world. I don't know what those are for you. But God's desire and his design for you is peace. Because Jesus preaches peace, he says. He says he preaches it to those who are far from God. What that means for us as a church, what that means for you is, as you came in today, if you're feeling distant from God, know that the message of peace is for you. The invitation is to, to not take up arms and, and fight for victory, but to, but to finally surrender and say, Jesus is gonna be my savior. Jesus is gonna be my king. Jesus is the and my sacrifice on the cross. The peace doesn't come from you winning but from you surrendering, giving your defeat to Jesus and receiving his victory. Maybe you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm on the team. You know, I, I'm saved. You know, you talked about being secure. Like, okay. Say, so it also preaches peace to those who are near. To those who've grown up in the church, those who've always kind of known about this, but maybe, maybe it's time for you to actually receive the peace that comes from knowing Jesus, that, that all of your anxiety, all of your worries, all of your cares, like I say yours, I'm talking mine too. I'm an incredibly anxious person at times. The offer here, the calling here is to experience peace. Again, through surrender. If you've received the, the peace of Christ, you can have it applied to how you live your life, how you enjoy this season, how you relate to other people. He can tear down those walls of hostility. And maybe, maybe, maybe those walls have, have been built up because other people have hurt you. Maybe you've been abused, maybe you've been hurt. And he can tear down that wall, not so that you go and you're in a relationship with people who've hurt you. I mean, sometimes there's reconciliation, that's great. Sometimes there's restoration, that's great. But maybe he's just saying, I know you've been wounded. I know that what's been done to you is unjust. I know that part of you has been lost and taken from you. My peace, my wholeness, my healing, I give to you. We can have peace when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, you're good for us. Lord, I thank you so much that we're given your word, Lord, that we're given throughout the Bible promises of peace, promises for, for hope that, Lord, that the conflicts we find ourselves in, the conflicts we have with you, do not have to ultimately define us, but rather, God, you ending the conflict, taking defeat, giving us your victory in Jesus can allow us to experience peace now and forever. Lord, I don't know the story of the people that are here, but, but you do. 
Lord, I pray during this time today and, and this season, God, that this would be a season where, yeah, yeah wounds are, are there, but healing is brought. That separation and, and anxiety and, and relational distresses are present, but God, that you would bring not just the absence of conflict, but you'd bring wholeness and peace. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has been in conflict with you, that is without Christ, without hope in this world, Holy Spirit, would you bring them to a place of surrender where they would recognize that their surrender doesn't mean defeat, but it means receiving victory and experiencing peace. They would repent of sin and they would trust you, Jesus, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.